Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from public enemy to wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. And I guess also Megan this Trumpets. time. Yeah. yeah. And Megan. <laughs> and all of us from our own respective caves. Mm-hmm. From jail. <laughs> right. I know. Safety first. Safety first. <laughs> Safety first. But I think this is working out quite nicely. Everybody's safe and at home, and we can still get together and talk about our favorite albums. Henry, how are you holding up since we last we spoke? You know, today's probably the first day. You know, I used to make the joke about Groundhog Day. Right. You know, that was all, but now it actually starts to feel today is what it felt like Groundhog Day. You mean the movie Groundhog Day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like today, I, don't, I, I just now, like I've been able to hang on here for like a month and differentiate the dates. Now I'm a month in and I almost forget what day it is. <laughs> yeah. It's getting long at this point. And I don't know, can y'all see my hair? Because we're doing this over Zoom. Every day <laughs> I've been trying a different hairstyle. Uh, I did the I did the Mitt Romney. I did the the lover boy thing. And I did the hair band thing. <laughs> so it sounds like you've had some time on yeah, your hands. Yeah, yeah. If, if anybody doesn't know right now, it sounds like we have a lot of time on our hands. Megan, are you holding up okay? Yeah, I mean, I still, I'm still working from home. So, um, like Monday through Friday, it's pretty, like, pretty much the same. I'm just like at my house instead of work, so that's kind of weird. And it just, it was an adjustment. Um, I'm just bummed about like not being able to go out and do things. Like, I get it. I'm not pissed about it, but I miss concerts. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And it's probably gonna be a long time <laughs> until there's a concert. Yeah, and there was a couple, and I know you've already talked about it, but there was a couple of concert I was concerts I was looking at getting tickets for for August, like early August, and I was like, that's not going to happen. I like, don't I just think don't so. see it happening, you know? I have a shred of hope in my heart for, right. like, fall, but I don't know. I'm kind of at this point, I'm just setting myself up for the disappointment already, so when the time comes and it gets announced, I won't be, like, heartbroken. For sure. Well, we can all keep our fingers crossed that, Hopefully we can come out of our holes soon. And hopefully this podcast will give people something to listen to and maybe break the monotony a little bit. So we'll do our best. And this is one of my favorite shows that we do uh, is the year end because we all get to discuss um, our absolute favorites from the year. Um, Mm -hmm. Henry, I wanted to start with you. What did you think about 1981? I was kind of thinking about this like when we started 1981, what were your expectations and did it hold up? Did Did it live up to 1980? You know, that's an interesting question. I hadn't really thought about that. I have. I'm. I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I can't exactly tell you why. It seemed like this this year, eighty one. It seemed like feast or famine. Mm-hmm. It, it was like either it was either something that was fucking great or really bad. You yeah, know, there was no like middle ground, or at least in the ones we selected. Right. You know? I I kind of felt like going into nineteen eighty. 
as we started going through it, it was like, holy shit, one classic after another, like boom, boom, boom. Like this is a, like I even felt during that first year, like this is might be the best year to cover of the whole show. Enjoy it. 81 felt like to me, it had a lot of really great records, but like you said, there Mm -hmm. were, there were, there was a lot of much more spottiness than 1980. I thought. Like even the stuff that was supposed to be like really good, like it got like good reviews back, you know, in 1981. It did like I don't know if it's just it hasn't aged well, but a lot of it, it's like really like people were into this, like really into this, you know. Like I, there were like a lot of really good albums, but overall, I think 81 had a lot of turds. Yeah, it had a lot more turds <laughs> than 80. And I was just looking back, like. The top 20 records of 1980 are almost all like just like classic. Henry, I'm kind of getting scared the lo- longer we go because we're getting closer and closer to when we were uh, teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I think the late 80s sucked. So I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm hoping it did. That's the worst. <laughs> like as I was reviewing some of the, you know, because today we're going to go through like our favorites of the year. And we're also going to give the, the ones that we disliked and maybe some surprises right surprise selections or whatever that of the year and as i was doing a little research i realized that some of that some of the stuff <laughs> that we're gonna get to oh yeah like in, later like in the late 80s yeah yes i'm the same way i'm like oh boy this we better I, enjoy uh-oh. this <laughs> <laughs> enjoy it yeah enjoy so, this time. so maybe we, we have all this time to listen to records so if you want to go back and get into like pretenders one and two, you got plenty of time <laughs> like to do that. Now. So let's just not be too hard on 81. Cause I think it's still going to be way better than 87, eight or nine. <laughs> so with that yeah. said, um, I kind of ordered these so that we would go over them uh, based on third, second and first pick. So the, so we're going to start with uh, everybody's third pick for, album of the year their own personal album of the year and i do want to make one caveat because it's not henry or megan's fault there were just a couple of uh same selections and i just deferred to whoever had it higher up on their list so all of these records i think we would all three agree are great records but we're going to present them as as our pick and megan your third best album of the year pick is up first computer wild by Kraftwerk. nice yeah um (laughs) I really, I love Kraftwerk and like this album, I just think is super cool, especially for 1981. I mean, I know some people probably look at their, like the robot thing is a little cheesy. Like that seemed to be really popular in like the late seventies, early eighties, like robots in space and stuff like that. But I really think that they were just very influential um, for electronic music. And um, this isn't my favorite album of theirs, but I think this is a great one to start um, on Kraftwerk. And I'm supposed to see them in July. It's probably not going to happen, <laughs> but I'm kind of bummed by that. Yeah, I think this record's awesome. Do you guys like Kraftwerk? Or- yeah, a- absolutely. In fact, this might have been the first full Kraftwerk record I listened to from beginning to end. And I it's mean, a good I one found- to listen to. Like- yeah, I found it like to be, it didn't sound too dated to me. No, but I think the production still- is really good. Yeah it still felt pretty relevant, especially today. Like, I think for some reason I keep going back to thinking about these laptop guys that are making music on their laptop. And for some mm-hmm. reason it's still, it, sa- it sounded like there was a connection point with this work and the stuff I'm hearing now. I think for me, the the reason it didn't make my top three was just because 
it's always been an album and they've always been a band that I've always thought were so influential. And that was Mm -hmm. my main intro to them, not just listening to them uh, with a fresh ear. I was always like, oh, I have to like them. Or every time I listen to them, I hear my other favorite bands and I hear the the reference. Do you want to hear something funny about Kraftwerk? Mm -hmm. So my dad doesn't, or he didn't know who New Order is but he knew who craft work was. <laughs> that is <correct. laughs> cool. Does that make any sense? I don't think that no, makes like it, I was blown away. I like that though. Yeah. I was like, how, how the fuck do you know who craft work is? Cool. <laughs> I was impressed. Shocked. Yeah, but... I am too. Well, Henry, let's go to your third best album of 1981. What was your pick? My third, my third pick is from the lion's mouth uh, for, by a band called the sound. Uh, I'm sure you guys listen to that. Yeah, I really like that record too. What was your what was your reasoning for making it your third Any, favorite? Anybody who listens to our show knows that you know the vast love we like to shower upon all things Joy Division. Oh yeah. I discovered this band The Sound somehow last year. It was while we were doing the pod, uh, but for some reason their first their I think it's their second record. Their first LP didn't make it to the main show. But mm-hmm. I, that was, it's like I discovered how good they were and my mouth just dropped up. And I remember calling Chris, like, have you ever heard of this band called The Sound? And I, as I listened to that first record, I was so surprised. Like, God, I got to make sure that I listened to the 1981 uh, record, which from the lion's mouth. And it was even better. Like this album was like fucking monumental. It's this great unsung classic that just never was. I can't with a, I mean, it's like with a straight face, I can't say that it's all, it's almost as good as Closer by Joy Division. Yeah, I found it, Henry, to be like, which is one of the reasons I did the show, like this undiscovered gym, at least for me. Like, I yeah. was like, holy shit, how did I miss this? I, know. I started seeing myself comparing it the whole time to Joy Division or to yeah. New Order and going, well... Well, I mean, I feel like that's kind of justified, though, because of the time period. And like, I'm sure if you did, like, I don't know where the sound, like where they're from. I'm assuming they're English, probably. I I don't recall. But when I found this album through this show, I was really blown away, too, because I love that sound. Like, I love the post-punk, like, late 70s, Mm -hmm. early 80s, early to mid 80s. Like, that is just, like, my uh, wheelhouse. And I had never, like, I had heard of the sound before, but I had never listened to them. Right. When it comes to... They were from South London, by the way. They were, were like, a London version of the Manchester bands. To find something with that kind of quality, it's like this vast, like, undiscovered land, (laughs) you know? It's like somebody opened the door to something else. And, um... It was really interesting to me, like, and it was totally inexplicable why no one knew, why no one knew about the sound. And so, you know, I make it, you know, my my goal to tell everybody that I know about this band, they like the kind of music I do. I picked this record, too. Well, nobody had this one on their list but me, and it was uh, Big City by Merle Haggard. And um, I'm going to cite all the reasons that Henry just saw uh, put down there for the sound. I'd never heard this record. Uh, if we have some country fans out there, they're probably like, duh, what? Like, this is a great record. But really? I'd never heard <laughs> this record. I thought it was amazing. I thought his level of writing with a style of like being a common, regular dude, but also hitting all these deep issues and being so subtle about it that you could miss it. If you just <laughs> listen to it casually, you'd be like, I don't get what Chris is saying about this record. 
It really surprised me. And like, if I find a country record that I want to listen to more than uh, once or twice, excluding Willie Nelson or Johnny Cash, I'm really blown away. So I, I kept making my list and kept paring down and paring down. And this one kept staying near the top. So yeah, I really like this record. So go ahead, beat me up, you guys. I can tell. It's so interesting. No, I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, like Merle Haggard. I don't either. I'm, I'm, I, I got to say I'm surprised, though. That's, uh, I would not have expected that. Do you think it's as good as George Jones? I think it's better. And I think we had that debate on the podcast, but I, yeah. I actually went back and listened to both of them before this because I thought I was going to take a beating. And I was like, yeah, it's it's clearly better than the George Jones record, in my opinion. Um, also, I think we both I, came down positive on that record in the in the month. No, I, I, and I, yeah, I don't dislike the George Jones record, but I think this one's better. And I, and, and you know, Henry, I always am skewed towards writers, and Merle mm-hmm. Haggard definitely had a hand in writing, if not every part of these songs, at least a part of all of them. And I think George Jones had a lot more uh, help with songwriting. Well, I definitely cool. view like Merle Haggard. When you're comparing them, especially to George Jones, I think that Merle Haggard is more of like an outlaw country kind of guy. Like, I don't know, like he just seems like an original, like just a cool guy. Yeah. And I think it also was it was interesting for me to find in today's day and age with the way we were split red and blue to find a guy that was obviously a working man, probably identifies more as a red red state kind of guy that i could identify with so that that was that was kind of fun for me too megan let's go to a totally different album (laughs) for your second best pick of 1981 yeah definitely uh quite the transition to faith by the cure which right now like i'm probably not in a big cure mood just because like i think life is kind of you know there's just a lot of depressing stuff happening so this album in particular because their first few albums are very gloomy yep, <laughs> like I agree. very atmospheric like it's done well but man like if you're kind of in a bummer mood like don't put on pornography and i mean this album's a little bit like it's still really atmospheric and that's what i love about it like this is when i think of like original cure this is what I think of because they hadn't really hit the kiss me, kiss me, kiss me level yet mm, where they had like yeah. the videos. And so, yeah. And I'm more <laughs> of uh for me, uh, 17, 17 seconds is the early cure album for me to go to. Yeah. And then my problem with faith, which is not a problem. I like faith as well too, but it, I never pick it when I'm going, to, if I'm going to listen to the cure, I usually either go with the 17 seconds or I go into disintegration pornography oh world so i, I mean, and, and i yeah. shouldn't do that because listening to it here it was great but i think i i think i have a bias against it which i i hate this one oh, is I'm the like, most underrated of all the cure records really i, oh, I think thank it's, you. <laughs> it, it, the reason why why is it, it plays more of like i always want to say it sounds like a soundtrack to me yeah it's, i could rather than just singles you know and i remember when i talked about it I remember thinking that uh, it was a lot of, I, I always call it texture work in these things because there's a lot of, you know, guitar texture type stuff happening on this. Yes. And this is going to happen, I think, uh, throughout the time that we, throughout the whole, all the years that we do. Um, I kind of, when you get to these bands that are amazing, you accidentally start judging the album versus their other albums. I know yeah. I did that with Prince. It's like, I know what's, it, I know what's coming next. So do I really yes. want to rate this one that high? But it's like it ain't, it ain't fair. It ain't fair because right. 
just like with another band that we're going to listen or um, that we're, I don't, we might consider them later. I haven't looked at the notes, but there's a step, there's a progression, right? You know, right. And it's hard. You can't judge the other one before with with the same, you know. Henry, what was your second favorite uh, album of 1981? Mine is Juju by Susie and the Banshees. Yet another band with these moments that make you open your mouth. Like, uh, I started listening to it while I was training for um, the 5K, and I was so taken with the progression, right? We just talked about that, the progression that Susie and the Banshees made on this one. Yeah, I mean, because we, we, because we covered the 1980 album as well, and it's, yeah. this one sounds completely different. We liked it, but like th- this record is a fucking classic. A move back to guitar-based music from what Kaleidoscope was. The songs are stellar. John McGill, I guess. I don't ever know if I'm pronouncing his right name. <laughs> McGough, McGough. Yeah, he I'm not, I'm not even going to attempt it. I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> he was amazing. You know, he played that, the old, you know, gothic standard, uh, Rollin JC120, along with his marshals. And Susie's vocals are smooth and like assured. You know, the record before, she sounded a little bit tentative, like she was, you know, having to try a bit. This yeah. one, it was like full-throated from her mouth. Yeah, and this is this is one of those albums that the story is as good. We had a few of those this year where the story of the album was was every bit as good as well. Um, for me, this was Henry. You stole my surprise pick of uh, that we were going to talk about later. This was my surprise oh. pick. I think this is the best Susie and the Banshees album. And again, this is a band that I always liked, but I didn't I didn't think I loved. And this album, to me, I had the same feeling you did. I was like, why didn't I love this album? Like, back when I should have, back when I was Megan's yeah, age. Yeah. Why didn't I love so, this record? And it was a great find for me this, this yeah, time around. I, I simply didn't have a copy of it to listen to around me, so I just didn't know. If you listen to this record with your heart open, you're going to go to another place in your head that you haven't been to before. So that's all I got to say about that. Dang. Whew, I don't know if I could top that. <laughs> it is my favorite Susie and the Banshees record though. Like it's, yeah. it's really good. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's the best Susie and the Banshees record. Okay. My number two pick is uh pretenders Two by the pretenders. I think this is a great record that only gets, uh, it doesn't get its fair uh, share of accolades because their debut album was so great to me. It's just a continuation of that first record and it's every bit as good. I know Henry made a big uh, point in one of the last episodes of talking about uh, the album LC by, um, I'm drawing a blank, guys, help me out. The Doritty Column? Uh, Yeah, thank you, by Doritty Column and how much of an effect that had on the Smiths. I personally think the Pretenders' um, first two albums had just as much, uh, if if not more, uh, effect on the Smiths. The The guitar sound and the pop jangle kind of sound Definitely. Yeah, to me, is the kind of similar thing. And I just love, but to me, pretend early Pretenders records are just one of those albums that you put on, uh, which remind me kind of like the Bends, where you're like, oh, that's a great song. I forgot how good that was. The next one's not going to be as good as that. And then the next one comes up, and you're like, oh, shit, that's really good, too. And it just mm-hmm. rolls all the way through the album. So, yeah, I love this record. I just always feel like it doesn't get the credit it deserves because of the first one. I feel like the Pretenders in general kind of, I mean, they definitely have, been given recognition and everything but i I still think they're a little bit of like kind of a forgotten band Mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm. 80s like people kind of forget that they were as influential like you said as they were so um yeah 
I think the guitar is it James Honeyman Scott? Is that yes. the guitar? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful sound. I think he passed away. Didn't he like die of a drug yeah. overdose? He did right yep. after this album. Right after this one. Yeah. Yep. And Megan, yeah, so I'm, coming coming from like a little bit later generation than us, um mm-hmm. with the pretenders. For our generation, I think they were kind of a forgotten band, but I think the reason was Brass in Pocket was so huge. Mm-hmm. It overshadowed everything else. Is that kind of your experience? Like you were like, oh, I know Brass in Pocket, but I don't know. That was my first experience mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the Pretenders was Brass in Pocket and probably on some like VH1, like VH1 classic, like when they would play like the blocks of music videos or in some like countdown show, whatever, yeah. like the mid 2000s. I almost feel like it helped the Smiths now that they didn't have a song like that. Like I think I don't know though longevity how soon wise. now. Yeah, I know we hear that. Yeah, too much, that's it. That was yeah, much later though. Yeah, but also if you ask my mom mm-hmm. if she's ever heard how soon is now, she has no idea. But if you start singing brass in pocket, my mom's like, oh yeah, I remember that one. So it was Maybe a little she bit even different. Know who level. Kraftwerk is? No, she has no idea who <laughs> Kraftwerk is. How do you like, know though? You've never asked her. I will ask her, but uh, her favorite band I know, or her favorite artist is Eric Carmen. So let's not get basically the same thing. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> All right, Megan, let's hear your favorite album of 1981. Okay. Well, this is probably not a surprise at all, but Movement by New Order uh, is my favorite pick. I love this album and this is just like beginning of everything that new order ended up doing. And plus like, I don't know, just everything they went through like with joy division and Ian Curtis dying. And then this album a year later, whatever coming out, the story around it alone is just incredible. And I don't know, like when you know all of that and that does make me biased, I guess, but mm-hmm. like when you know all of that and you listen to this, it's just like, ah, oh, like your mouth drops, like you said earlier. Um, so this album, yeah. Anytime I see like that blue cover, the Peter Seville cover, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. It just, it makes me feel some type of way. Cause I, I just love new order and joy division. So this is the start of new order. I think it's not my favorite. I gotta say. But no, it's not my favorite New Order record either. Because it's, I know that it's kind of transitional, but I like transitional work. I mean, we talked about a progression earlier. Like, I like hearing the record that's not the big swing for the fences because I know it's a step in that direction. Like, I, I like hearing the journey. 
as much as I like hearing the destination. You know? Well, New Order had quite a journey. Like, Yeah, and the story mm-hmm. behind this record to me is almost as good as the record. Um, yeah. Like Megan was saying, like, this is, this is, this should be a movie. Like it's more than just, but again, for me, it was colored by, I knew there were much better records coming after it uh, yeah. from new order. And I hate when I do that again, because I'm like, this is a great record. I was looking at the track listing and I'm looking at all these tracks. I'm like, yeah, I like that song. Yeah. I love that song. Yeah. yeah. That's, that song's dope. Yeah. So um, I get, I get where you're coming from. I hate that I have that bias, but I kind of do. Well, it's hard when you know what is coming next because, I mean, like, I love Power, Corruption, and Lies. I love um, Brotherhood. Like, I love... Oh, my God. We get to listen to Brotherhood, too, at some point. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. Like, (laughs) Cool. All right, Henry, that leads us to your favorite record of 1981. And I picked, you won't believe this, but I picked Red Mecca probably... To everyone's chagrin, they're like, why the hell did I pick this, right? <laughs> I was a little bit shocked. I really liked the record myself, but I like. I want to hear your reasons for best record so of 81. I, I love strange records. I love being surprised. Um, I already said that earlier in the show. Like uh, This album sat hard with me because of how strange and exciting it was. It turns out, that Mission of Burma were not the first guys to use tape loops, you know? Uh, it, it, the whole record is disorienting. Okay, so, Henry, what's, what's a track that you like from this record that you'd like to play? I want you to play one called Slide Out. All right, here it is. like cabaret voltaire Uh, i feel like i don't listen to them a ton like they're kind of one of those groups where i know that i enjoy their sound like it it kind of mixes well with what i already listened to and i like this album too i kind of forgot about it a little bit though you know um we do cover quite a few so it's kind of for Mm -hmm. me i couldn't remember it but i i remember enjoying what i listened to yeah i did too i and and henry i was i'll get your what your thoughts are on this. I feel like I like this album, but in the same way that I like to know how a clock works, 
Like I'm not really mm. appreciating the clock. I'm looking at all the intricacies of it. And like every time yep. I listen to this record, it's like some new thing. That <laughs> yeah. Or how did they do this? Or why did they like, exactly. it's like it's a science you know, experiment or something. You know who this band reminded me of so much. I like this band. I don't know if you guys did, but have you ever heard of Aphex Twin? Yes. Yes. So I would be very surprised if Richard James from Aphex Twin did not know about all about Cabaret Voltaire. Like I really do kind of enjoy music that is a little dangerous sounding or sinister. And this, I would say, does sound that way in, in the best possible way. I'm going to give you a little bit of a hard time, though. So if you just step back. You're telling me, though, of all these records we covered in 1981, that's your favorite record. It's my favorite one that we listened to. Yeah. You you take this before movement. Uh, You take this home with you and and throw movement away. No, I wouldn't throw it away. That's a shitty thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just asking because I know I'm going to get asked about my. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's coming. I know it's coming. Uh Yeah, it's in the air tonight, uh, isn't it? If it's a, you're asking me like if it's a choice between Red Mecca and Movement, what I, which one would I throw away? Right. Um. No, and I know, I know, and this is this is hard to do uh, right here, but it just seemed to me like this this pick shocked me. I was like, Are you sure, Henry, that Red Mecca was your favorite record of anyone? But I'm glad, I'm glad it was. Well, I want, <laughs> I just want to go on record as saying Chris of 18 months ago is ready to slit this Chris's wrist. Um, <laughs> Oh my God! I have actually gone from a place where I absolutely hated this person, and I and I still hate them later on in the '80s, probably more than any artist on the planet. But I, ha- if I'm being true to myself, my favorite album of 1981 was Phil Collins' Face Value. I wasn't even sure that you two were going to do the show with me once I posted that Face Value was my favorite record from 1981. But um, um, I mean, I like Genesis and like Phil Collins obviously was in Genesis. And I mean, he had like Phil Collins is a great songwriter. 
I agree, and I think I think it gets worse and worse I mean, as the '80s go. Um, and and that's the, questionable. And I think as we but. we're going to see later on, he 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 starts falling in love with trying to be a soul uh, man, like some sort of '50s soul <laughs> singer. Like you can't hurry love and awful songs like that, but um, are done by Phil. I'm just Hoffman. glad it wasn't Abacan. I I wouldn't know what I was going to do if you did that. Well, but, but what I, I I love that record too. But I, what I. <laughs> But this is a period that's very interesting to me because I come from a place where I love Peter Gabriel solo. Love, love, love. And digging through doing this podcast, I realized how big a part Phil Collins had in helping and and being a part of what Peter Gabriel did and vice versa. Um, A lot of that drum sound, that gated drum sound is all Phil Collins that Peter Gabriel, I think, did better. But Phil Collins invented it. And I didn't, and and I think the, and you know, the, the story is always the popular story is that those two hated each other. And that's why Peter Gabriel left Genesis. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. So that's what I always thought, but once we started listening to Genesis, like then I started like looking into them more and I realized Mm -hmm. like, Oh no, they're actually pretty cool with each other. And you know, just wanted to do different stuff. Yes. That little Dick keyboard player that really pissed Peter Gabriel off. It wasn't (laughs) Phil Collins. But uh, yeah, I think this, if you can get over your Phil Collins bias, people out there, and just listen to face value at face value. Oh my God. <laughs> I think you're going to love it. It's a great record. If you and, can um, continue at face value. Okay, that's going to take us to our worst of the year list, which I thought this record might make a dual appearance uh, on the best and worst. Um, I, I thought Henry might put face value on the worst list, but I, I, I wouldn't embarrass you like that. But I, Megan, that would be like the worst. well, I appreciate that. Megan, we're going to let you go first with your worst pick of the year. Oh yeah, this was, this was pretty easy for me. I mean, there were definitely other ones to choose from. I'm not saying that this was the only terrible record, but for me, quarter flash, their self-titled album like I just I hated it. I don't know if it's because I had different expectations for what it was going to sound like. I don't even know what I remembered like my expectation was. Ugh. It was like shitty 80s music. You know, and I think Megan, I, if I recall when we talked about it, I think you even disliked the single with the horn. Oh, yes. The, okay. That was like the only time I've ever wanted like less saxophone. Right. <laughs> See, so I think this podcast has made me come more around to 80s horns, which I know Henry. Ep- no, I, oh, 80s I horns it. are cool. Yes. They can be, but this one was not. Well, and I kind of thought like when just from a surface, just knowing that song, I think I felt kind of like you, like this song is probably the word. Like there's going to be better songs on this record. And I'm kind of excited to get into it. Ugh. And then the nope. minute, the minute I heard that like the singer was also the, like, horn player flute player was her specialty i was like oh no I know. this is going in a bad bad direction and it did, didn't get any better i think this album is absolutely horrible well i was listening to it like on my commute home one day and i wanted to drive my car off the road i was like <laughs> this is terrible <laughs> it's that's, just not good that's never what a band is going for i'm sure like no. let's make people drive the car off the road henry what was your yeah, worst record of truly did suck Okay, mine is Lover Boys Get Lucky. Okay, not only do you have this this cover that is questionable, okay, in its in, in how it's, in its derivation, I'll leave it at that. Like you can search this on Google and, and look at the photographer's story and like tell me if you really want to look at that cover again. There's a backstory. Yeah the the uh, the leather pants on the uh, on the cover. 
Oh, no. Straight from an underage girl. I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, and if that doesn't tell you enough, I mean, the, the record is like a really long, sexist cliche. Okay. <laughs> it, it's like the party anthem album that it was made for like the frat guys and dudes that I hated in high school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's... Everything about this thing is like, Good time party rock that uh, never that never spoke to me at all. Lover Boy will never be anyone's favorite band. <laughs> Ever. I hope not. It's you like the the whole thing. Basically, the thing is, I if you were to quote them, it would sound like they're saying, "I stand for being like a shallow one note shit." Well, you know, for me, and I remember them from the time I actually went to see them as a kid, but. They kind of represent, I can't believe it, it's actually probably pretty hard to do this, but they represent a genre of like mid-80s, Midwestern arena rock, like mm-hmm. good time. I wouldn't call it frat guy. I would call it more like just got out of high school and got a job at the gas station. Good time <laughs> kind of guys. But uh, yeah, it's definitely like it's, it's, it, it fit that time period perfectly. Like there's bands like that and... 38 special and a couple others that just toured constantly and right. were always at the, you know, right. It's followed the rodeo at the cow palace and then boom, you know, there they were. Um, but it's so bland. It, My problem with it was, it was so bland. And I don't, that fucking bandana. Right. Right. And the fucking bandana, which is the that's best the thing best about that. The best thing about that band was the bandana. It was the only <laughs> thing. The, only thing, the only thing that separates this band <laughs> to me from the tubes. Remember the tubes is the bandana. Oh yeah. They're the same fucking band, except without the bandana. So, yeah, I'm with, I'm with you on that one. Um, anyway, my contempt for that band is deep, so. Uh, my worst <laughs> album of the year is a band that not only is as bad and bland as Loverboy, but they actually sound like they didn't give a shit, which was Red Rider with As Far As I Am, uh, which I hate that fucking pun title, first of all. <laughs> and second of all, I, I, the only one. I, I can't, it's, it's actually kind of interesting to hear a band actually not care. Like they sound like they're like, I wouldn't listen to this shit either. It just sounds like they're lethargic, lazy, and boring. And it was horrible. It was a horrible listening experience that day for me. So, all right. So are you saying like lunatic fringe doesn't do that for you? No, like here's what, here's what, who's what, here's what lunatic fringe does for me. It shows that somebody put a a lot of effort into producing that one song and building it up, and then you listen to the you listen to the rest of that record, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is absolute (laughs) drudgery." It's like the insult. It's like tease you and say, "This is like we know how to do something good, maybe." Or, but or like maybe there's a producer. Like, what did the producer not get enough money to help with the rest of the record? He just quit yeah, after yeah, one yeah. song. The idea that he decided, that he told whatever is that Tom Cochran, hey, that little bit you got, build something on that. Uh, <laughs> that's the best shit you got. There was, I totally <laughs> forgot about this record. Like, I don't remember it. That's exactly all. what's supposed to happen. That's because it's boring. <laughs> It is. Like, I've never heard of this band before, I swear. But like, I. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. you looked up, I, maybe this is what they were going for. If you looked up boring in the dictionary, it should be like this record would be right there with it because it is absolute <laughs> drudgery. It's horrible. 
I'm all right. All right. So we're we're to the part of our show where we're going to give each are going to give a surprise pick for 1981. Not necessarily our favorite, but something that we were like, oh, this is this is something you should listen to. Uh, Megan, what was yours? Um, this one was kind of hard for me, uh, like to pick kind of like a surprise one. It's not really surprising to me. Maybe it'll be surprising to you guys. Uh, I'm going to go with Hard Promises by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, just because I don't know. I really like this album, and I feel like it's kind of maybe one of his lesser known ones. I just I love Tom Petty, and this album. Anytime I listen to it, it just puts me in a good mood, and yeah, it makes me feel nostalgic. Yeah, I can yep, see that yep. because it is one of his like lesser known records. So I could see where you mm-hmm. were like, oh wait, I've, I haven't really gone into this one. But yeah. there are a number of very good songs on it. Um, oh yeah. And it's solid from beginning to end. Um, the only reason I didn't even pick it was because, I mean, that is like meat and potatoes in my world. Like That's like, kind of why I almost didn't pick it. Cause I'm like, maybe like it's, it's everybody knows it's good, you know, but yeah. But then you, then you're like, if you, if then I started thinking, well, if I pick hard promises, then I've got to throw uh DB stands for decibels in there somewhere. And I thought about that one. But I can't not pick the ones that I thought were like, you know. But yeah, Hard Promises is a great record. I love the song that he does with Stevie Nicks Mm, on it, The Insider. I'm so glad he didn't give that away. Yeah. Because that is my favorite song of of, of his. Like, it makes me cry. It's so good. Uh Uh-huh. Henry, what's your surprise pick? So this is a toss-up. Like, I don't know which one I'm going to – I'm just going to say the one that surprised – that is my surprise pick, I guess. And it is uh, Seasons of Glass by uh, Yoko Ono. I mean, who knew that this record even existed? Like, I, you go to Spotify, and it's not even there, right? You have to go to YouTube – where they have it streaming. And it turns out that the cover of this record, which is the most, like, it's the most OG <laughs> record cover you've ever seen. Another record is, that has a great story behind it, yeah. Yeah, it's like, John has John Lennon's glasses with blood on it. Yeah. And I didn't, you would think that this record would be considered like a classic. Like, people would have it right up beside Double Fantasy or something like that, because it's remarkably solid for a Yoko Ono record. It's remarkably restrained uh, in certain ways, but at the same time uh, has just enough of her idiosyncrasies to make it a 
really good uh, album. So I was really surprised and uh, uh, about that. I don't know. I mean, I don't have the most positive things to say about Yoko Ono, but I was very pleasantly surprised like by this record and even like some of her like contribution to Double Fantasy. I mean, like she has talent and you don't really ever hear that side of it. And I don't know if it's a combination of like xenophobia and sexism or just because she got labeled as breaking up the Beatles, but I've never, I could not think of another like pop culture person that's as hated for no reason. And if you saw that recent documentary on Netflix about imagine she had a big part of that. She really Mm -hmm. was like you said, she's really talented. And I think it, it shocked me how good this record was not because I, didn't think it was going to be good, but, and that nobody knows about it. And, never hear about it. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, do you want to hear somebody actually tell you what it's like to go through something that no other human being has ever gone through because no one's ever gone through the death of their spouse being John Lennon. And she nailed it. It like nails it. Yeah. It's like, this is fucking amazing. It's like, it, it, to me, it's even bigger than a record. It's like outside right. of being and, a record. Uh, and Henry, the guy that pro- the guy that produced it didn't put his fingerprints all over it a whole lot. And so it's very, um, so it, it, it stays intimate without being this, any kind of bizarre art rock experiment either. Henry, I thought you'd find this funny. I, not that there's a lot funny about that record, but um, I, on my notes, I put this as my surprise pick and right beside it. I wrote, but Henry's going to pick it. So then I picked another one. <laughs> <laughs> you know me well buddy. yes you yeah i figured well. this was going to be your pick so um yeah. yeah i think it's a great record too and well worth the listen if you can find it on fucking youtube which is crazy yeah I mean, go to youtube yeah uh my pick uh this album just totally shocked me still shocks me is womp that sucker by sparks yay I, yes, I'm glad you mentioned them. First off, right off the bat, again, I think the theme of this episode is the stories. But right off the bat, when Henry and I found out that these guys basically like told Queen they were going to be better than Queen, and did Queen want to join them? I just like thought these guys are fucking badasses. Balls, yeah. yeah. Just, this is, and and then I didn't know diddly about Sparks. Really, I always had them confused with that band Yellow that did that song from Ferris Bueller. They went, oh yeah. It's I, funny that you would confuse them. I know. I don't know why, but I always yeah, thought that like, was Sparks. <laughs> but um, I love everything about this record. The album cover is my favorite album cover of the year. Um, I think it's I think it's hilarious. And the album is really good. And maybe something about their longevity, too. Like, those guys are still doing it. And they're doing it, like, cocky. They're not doing it like, oh, <laughs> we're world. 70. No, they're doing it like we're just still stomping the world. So I yeah, love this I record. I love Sparks. They're great. Did you know about them before we, like, were you a fan before we, we covered them? Yes. And I actually, how I heard of them was uh, when I, because obviously I love Depeche Mode. And at some point mm-hmm. when I was reading something about Depeche Mode, Martin Gore really loves Sparks. Like, they're one of his favorite bands. So I was like, oh, I'd be interested to kind of, because I had heard of them, but I didn't really know what they sounded like. Right. So that was probably like a few years ago, but nobody knows who they are. Okay, so I think that does it for 1981, unless you guys got any more that you want to say, or there was any other um, albums that you wanted to quickly name drop. Well, uh, I will mention that OMD record very briefly. Nobody talked about it. Uh, I have notes. I had pegged OMD as uh, orchestral maneuvers in the dark 
we listen so to so pretentious. Yes, <laughs> architecture and morality is the one that we listen to. I had always in my mind that they were always that if you leave song, you know, if you leave. And so that was in my head. I was 15 years old. Those are very formative years for me, you know. And so that's what I expected them to be. Uh, the the architecture and morali- morality record was way more arty and interesting than I than I thought it was going to be. Right. Yeah, I love um, OMD. I feel like they kind of get forgotten too, especially compared to bands like The Cure and New Order that were more, um, well, just bigger probably. Mm-hmm. But OMD, I mean, they had a lot of, they're very cool. Like they did a lot of different things like synth wise mm-hmm. and they still that- did like the atmospheric stuff. Well, guys, take a deep breath. Are you ready to start another year? Because we're right there. Time marches on. We're going to mm-hmm. move on to 1982. I'm ready. Um, something we're going to do just just uh, as a little bit different for 1982. We're going to try we're going to try to do less uh, double episodes for months um, just to keep it moving. But we're going to interject two or three episodes where we speak about one album uh, for that episode, an, uh, an album that we think is beyond just one of the five best of that month. That it's an all time classic album. So stay tuned for that. And I guess we'll reconvene with uh, January of 1982, guys. All right, sounds, cool. Sounds sounds great. I'll um, I'll just let the folks know. With many thanks to our show producer Greg Levin. If you like the way we sound, you can talk to him at Urban Dweller on Instagram, U R B N D W E L L R, or at NBC Greg on Twitter. We're thankful to have him on our team, and we're thankful to you, Megan. Yes, Thank you, Megan. You You're welcome. I love doing this, and it's fun to talk about these records, even when there are some like quarter flash and <laughs> whatnot thrown in. Tell them how they can contact you. All right. So, if you want to um, contact the show, there's uh, at 80s Exposed on Twitter, um, at 80s 374 on Instagram, and then 80s Music Exposed on Facebook. And for me personally, um, my Instagram handle is Bastards of Young 92. And then my name is Megan Maddox on Facebook. And if I don't respond, just shoot me a message and let me know that you listen to the show. Hey, Chris, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape. 